I think what is sort of happening right now, at least within the animation industry, and I think that it might take time for the rest of the entertainment industry to sort of see it this way, but I think that animation is trying its hardest to become a medium instead of a genre. I think for a very long time, animation has sort of been forced into the hole of this is kid stuff. And if you look at animation as a medium instead of a genre, it, it opens up the doors to do literally anything. That storyboard artist, Caitlin Van Arsdale. And, and I hate saying just storyboard artist because really Caitlin is a lot more than that. I'm Bobby Brill and on this episode of Creative Mind, we talk with Caitlin more about what it takes to really survive and to flourish in the world of storyboard. And Caitlin's work really speaks for itself. She worked on the Oscar-winning short Hair Love. She's currently working on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2, as well as a long-standing Powerpuff Girls and numerous TV and movie projects. So please check out some of her work. We've got all of her links in the show notes. And before we get started, please hit subscribe on whatever device you're listening on so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind. Here's our conversation with Caitlin Van Arsdale. You started off as a storyboard artist, and now you're coming into you know doing show running and directing. A lot of that has to do with pitching ideas. That seems to be the biggest hurdle for everybody is to get that idea vocalized. How do you set up in your mind the pitch for your show? I always work character out. I never start with a concept. And that might sound counterintuitive to a lot of people, but I think if you think about all of your favorite stories, your favorite shows, your favorite movies, generally speaking, those are going to be really memorable characters and characters that you either relate to or that learn something that you learned once or something that triggers an emotion in you, right? And so I wouldn't say, I think starting out when I started to create my own stuff, I didn't think... I didn't know if what I was doing was right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but what, ha what has seemed to sort of resonate with people for me has been that I always work from the character first. I always start by thinking about someone who's been through something that affects them, okay. <laughs> if that okay. makes sense. Yeah. Um, no, that, that's interesting because, you know, as you were saying that, it's like, you know, when you're, all, you're always trying, when anybody sits down to write even before, whether it's animation, film, television, whatever, and you sit down and try and write this idea and you're staring at that blank page. Yeah, it does seem like, you know, from the world of where it's going to go, you know, you're pitching an idea to somebody, the concept could change, but yeah, the character seems to always be the same. I guess if, you, if you've got a great character that takes place in the 1980s and then they come back, no, we want it to be space, but the character, I'm guessing, pretty much stays the same, or the emotional aspect of that character stays the same. The concept can kind of fluctuate, maybe? Yeah, I think that that's true. I think that, I think it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a relationship. Like, for example, you, your concept can be an important part of the storytelling, but it should be something that you choose that highlights what your character is going through. Does that make sense? Like, like if... Like, if it's set in space, why is it set in space? Is it set in space because you're trying to explore the idea of isolation and what it does to someone? Are you exploring, like, loneliness and what somebody, when somebody who's experiencing, like, extreme loneliness, what that looks like? Like, setting that in space then makes sense, right? That's just one idea. Or... Wow, that <laughs> I'm laughing because I literally said space because I couldn't think of anything better. And you just came up with really good ideas of why it should be in space. So, <laughs> so OK, one, be good at your job, which you are and I'm not. So that 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 really hurt. Ouch. <laughs> I don't I, you know, but I think that that is is sort of maybe just a skill of making connections, you know what I mean? Like between what can a setting say about what a character is going through? Is That's where my, where my brain went, was like, okay, what is, would space say about someone? If, if you have an idea for a really, really cool concept, that's fine. I think it's more about taking that concept and applying it to what a character is going through and like what that means. What are you trying to say? Like, are you trying to say that like, the human experience is altered by this or that, that, you know, then your, your concept matters. It's just that you have to make sure that it's related to your character and what they're going through. 
for example, I'll give you an example. A project that I'm currently tr- like working on pitching right now is it's about memory. I, I've always been fascinated by the fact that us as people, we are essentially who we are is essentially like combination of all of the things we've ever experienced and all of the memories we have of traumatic things that have happened to us, happy things that have happened to us, sad things that have happened to us, you know, how we define ourselves is often we define ourselves by our experiences and what has sort of like taught us up to this point, right? But memory has been proven to be incredibly faulty. Like, like there have been studies, there's been study after study of people like right after a traumatic event, having like they'll, they'll interview them and ask them to like explain what happened. And then they'll interview them again, like three weeks later, three months later, three years later. And almost every single person will have a different story every time they check in because memories change. They shift, they fade, they're altered by other experiences. It's almost like a game of telephone that you play with yourself. I wanted to explore that idea, but not because I'm like, memory, that's a cool concept. It's more so because I'm like, memory, that affects us as people. I then, instead of going diving into like, memory, the concept, I instead went, okay, like, what would it look like for a character to either be able to manipulate memories or have to explore this concept of like a shifting memory? Just to clarify this pitch, is this going to be, are you thinking live action, animation? How does this fall into the world of what you do as an artist? Currently, I'm pitching this as a movie idea, animated movie. Animated um, movie. Yeah. But, and again, like, I'm not going to go into, into too much detail because it's still in development. But like, again, there's like, I had a concept, but I, I didn't lead with the concept. I then took it back to character and then led from character out. And then I started developing a character from that, from that idea that was like, okay, what, what is she affected by? What happened to her? Why, why can she, you know, why can she do what she can do? What, why is she doing what she's doing? Why is she who she is? And then attaching the concept of memory to that, you know, rather than trying to build a whole world around this idea of memories and then dropping a character in at the end. Does that make sense? So let's get into it then, because, you know, we just started off Right now, it's like, boom, you've got a great idea. You've got it flushed out. You have a way of, of explaining it. What got you to this point where you're now really working on pitches and creating concepts and working in the world of animation and television and film? I did not have a normal route into animation. Good. That makes me feel better. <laughs> at all. At all. And I think that, like, if I can sort of dispel some fear for people about, you know, the route you need to take to get into animation, like that's not, that doesn't exist. Like, it's just not real. It's just, it's not, I think it's a made up idea that like, you need to go to the best school and then you need to get the best internship and then you're going to get this job. That happens for some people, but it's, that's not the norm. The vast majority majority of people that I know didn't go that route. I was lucky enough at, at one point in my journey to go to a really good animation school but but it took me a really long time to get there and I didn't start working in animation until I was 26 I'm 31 now yeah and and that's still very young but yeah that is kind of late when you look at people who go to you know if you go to college right out of high school you're 22 21 22 23 when you graduate and you know you're doing your internships but yeah if you're starting off at 26 that is somewhat late in a career to start but we know later on you know careers last a lifetime, hopefully. But yeah, that is, you know, a little bit late in the world of entertainment. Well, and I think it's also just like, I think it's also not late. You know what I mean? Like it is late if you're going to, if, if, if you go by the like traditional, what, what people think they need to do, like coming out of college, like you said, but in terms of like where I'm at in my career now, like, I don't think that I would be as successful as I have been in the industry now had I not had a bunch of crazy life experiences before this. You sure. know, like yeah, that makes sense. I went to multiple schools. I lived in tons of different cities. I traveled a ton. I went through some horrifically traumatic experiences of my own and, you know, experienced a lot of life before I was like, OK, I need to really figure out what it is I want to do with with this experience I've accumulated, you know? And uh, I think that that's okay. And I think that that should be normalized. That it's like, it's okay to live your life and figure it out for a little while. Like it's not, you don't need to get a, you know, a career long job like right away in your early twenties. It's just not necessary. And also not likely for a lot of people, you know what I mean? It's like, it's okay. (laughs) 
Well, I, you know, it's it's funny too. You know, when you when you sit down and you start, you know, anybody that's gone through like a, a writer's workshop or a creative workshop, it's like, you know, what what does a nineteen year old have to say about anything? You know, I, I look back. I'm forty three, and I go, please don't quote me from anything I said when I was under thirty because it's probably really dumb. And I'm going to guarantee you it's really dumb. And I didn't have any experience in life. I, you know, that's come later. I didn't have any stories to tell. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Getting, getting something to tell will give you a story. Other than that, you're just, you know, making stuff up as you go along. It's actually, you know, it's, it's actually true that, like, when you're really young, it's not that you don't have a story to tell. Like, sometimes people have gone through a lot by that age. But it's also, also oftentimes what does happen is the stories kind of blend together in a way because they're uh they are coming from a perspective of someone who has barely entered the world <laughs> mm, right, right. <laughs> you know <laughs> and that's fine like it's okay that that's what's happening but it's just it, it is true that like life just gives you experiences and gives you stories and you shouldn't be afraid to go out and live your life a little bit before you buckle yourself down and try to like <laughs> write it out and create amazing characters like some people are able to do that really young and that's awesome but like that's also not always the case. And also like, is that what you really want? You know, like what do you want your life to just be only the art that you make? I mean, some people are deeply passionate and that's all they want to do, but I think it's actually incredibly valuable, not only for your storytelling skills, but also for your like sense of self to go out and experience some stuff before you try to put it down on paper, you know? Sure. And then you, then you get into the world of collaboration where it's like, well, other people have this experience or somebody else can understand what I'm going through and give me a different perspective on what my feeling is. So yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, and I also think meeting, meeting people outside of your comfort zone is also incredibly valuable. Again, like not my life experience is not right for everyone and different people have different levels of comfortability with that kind of thing. But and that's totally okay as well. But I think that for me, at least, it has been really meaningful and really valuable to have sort of gone out, had experiences, failed at stuff, gone through some painful experiences that I don't wish on other people and and sort of come out the other side and sort of learned how to channel that into characters that I write, you know? Let, let's dive into what it is you you started off doing as a career how did you what did you begin doing in this world of animation well i mean if we're gonna if we go way way back i started out as a graphic design major and then i changed or advertising actually and then i switched to graphic design didn't like either of them dropped out of school completely worked at SeaWorld for two years doing name paintings for people. <laughs> painting. On, on, the, on the grain of rice or just name painting no, I I had uh, it, it's a letter brush art. It's like an old Korean art form actually that I was taught. And uh, you take like these felt tip paint brushes and you'd paint like I would paint like a dolphin into the letter C or something. You know what I mean? And then you would like you would you would paint these names for people and you'd make commission off of them. And then actually through that, I met a lot of people that I ended up knowing in the animation industry because a lot of them ended up going into animation later on. Just people who were doing caricatures and stuff as well. We all worked for the same company. And then I sort of was, I was like, okay, I guess, you know, I, I think I really like to draw, but I'm not really good at it. Like I'm okay. I'm okay. Like I have maybe some like raw ability, but not, not anywhere near like, uh, I, I had, I didn't have enough skill to like apply to a good art school and get in. Like okay. that wasn't something right. I could do, right? Right, so, yeah, yeah. That 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 position of I can draw to okay, now draw me something that someone just tells you like, I don't know how to draw that. I know how to draw these five things really well. I don't know how to draw a, a face. Right, right. I could draw like my version of a face. You know what I mean? Which I think is the beginning for a lot of artists, you know? And I think yeah, so that led me to sort of like looking for schools I could go to that would help me learn how to the basics, basically. And so um, that's how I landed on the academy. And then I went up there for, four, I was in the Bay going to school at the academy for four and a half years. I did a study abroad program with them in Italy. And I did on location landscape painting there, which was like a dream come true. It was like amazing. Yeah, Not that, something I thought I was going to be able to afford, but I, but by, you know, my parents, I was going through a tough time. And so my parents were like, okay, fine. We're going to like try to find the money to help you do this, which that, is amazing. That, and that's yeah. a class you kind of look at and you go, you want me to go to Italy and and paint? All right. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You didn't you don't have to twist my arm on that one. 
Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things where I had a, I was going through a rough time and I had a teacher at the time who was like, I think this program would be really good for you. And I was actually the only person on the, the trip who hadn't had only had one painting class under my belt because it was a requirement. You had to have one oil painting class under your belt. And so I took it specifically because my teacher told me to so that I could go on this trip. But everyone else was like a painting major or a master's student. And I was an illustration major, you know, so I was like, I was like, what? Uh, Who was the teacher that pushed you to it? Jason Bowen. Okay. Yeah, who I think he's now he's now in Utah. But uh, yeah, we went to Italy and we had an amazing time. Was really heartbroken that I had to come back and go back to the real world. So I ended up going up to Portland for a couple years doing freelance illustration. My partner at the time was working at Leica Animation Studios and I had a bunch of friends at Pixar. So those sort of like my entry point to like understanding that animation was a job I could do was just all these people that I knew like in the Bay and up in Portland who were working at these animation studios. But to me it seemed like it just seemed like, oh, those that's for people who, like, really have their shit together. <laughs> I right. was like, I, right. excuse my French, but I was like, no. No, it's I, like, that's a job. I've never met somebody with a job drawing before, like a real job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you, know, you always see people do it, and you're like, how does that work? Yeah, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, okay, well, I would have to know how to draw like really well and also understand filmmaking. And, like, that's just, I, I was like, I barely know how to draw now. <laughs> you know, so, like. I was, it was one of those things where it just seemed like a far off, far fetched idea. But as I was like sort of working on my work, on my art in Portland, I, my style just like lent, lend itself to the animations, you know, just to animation in general. It was like, I was drawing animated characters. I just wasn't animating anything, you know? And I was like, okay, I guess maybe, maybe this is something that I would be interested. Maybe I could become a character designer. Maybe I could become a background artist. I could design stuff. I could kind of story you know I was, like, I was like i had some base level knowledge of all of these skills from having made films for a couple of years well yeah because it's always weird once you get into a studio or you get into an actual production you start to realize a lot of stuff is hard but really the nuts and bolts of it aren't that difficult there's the there's the artist but then the technical side it's not that difficult. I mean, you know, like editing, it's like I can cut and I can put things together. There's the art of making it good and the, you know, creating an edit, but the actual technical side, you know, it, it doesn't seem that hard once you've seen it a few times, right? Well, I guess I guess that that's true. I think that I think that it's actually I would say that editorial teams save projects all the time <laughs> I would say that for sure. for sure I think that I think that every single one of those jobs just felt interesting to me and I wasn't sure which one I would be the most proficient at if that makes sense I think that all of them serve an incredibly vital role in the production and like they all require a level of artistry and skill but they but it kind of just depends on where your passions land on that sort of like production pipeline and where uh, your skill sets are and I think that at that point, I kind of had become a person who had been sucking up sort of like different skill sets across the board. And I wasn't totally sure which one matched where I was headed. You and, know what and I mean? What did, what, and what did you finally land on? And I eventually, the art director from Regular Show kind of, she sort of recommended me to take a storyboard test. And it was sort of like with the intention of me just doing a test and using it for my portfolio. And that was the, that was the intention. I was like, gonna do this test, turn it in, and hopefully like, you know, it would just look good for my portfolio. And like, maybe if I got lucky, I could get like a revisionist role on the show. Okay. Um, well, well, back um, up. Tell me, tell me, explain that to me, because I think a lot of people, you know, f you know, for students and people who are thinking, thinking about, you know, maybe storyboard and art. What's a storyboard test when you're given it by an actual production house? What are, what are they giving you to do? Generally speaking, they'll give you they'll give you sort of like you'll have to sign an NDA. They'll give you like a breakdown of the show and the characters and like the you know, they'll give you like some episode examples or whatever character examples. And then they'll show you, they'll give you the designs and then they'll give you a prompt. It'll be like, this situ situation is happening with character A and character B, storyboard, like 20 panels of this happening to them. It's sort sort of like a, like a trial run to see if you can sort of storyboard in the style of the show, if you have the right voice, if, you know, if your sort of shot choices are appropriate for what they're doing. There's a lot of debate within the industry, to be honest, about like whether or not testing is uh, fair, because a lot of times what ends up happening is people go really, really overboard on their tests 
um, because they're trying to impress the show. And what ends up happening is you're doing like a ton of unpaid work, <laughs> you know, sure. it's like, it's hard. It's really time consuming, especially if you have a job already and you're trying to find another job. Like, um, doing a test is like an extra weeks of work on top of your regular job. You know? And cause they, you know, cause oftentimes, oftentimes people don't adhere to like, Oh, 20 panels. Like, because honestly, the people who are going to get the job are probably going to be the ones who are like, going above and beyond in some way and you know i can't say that that's true for every production but that's sort of like a, a trend that i sense and i think that there's a lot of debate within like the union and the industry itself as to like whether or not that's a good practice i personally don't think it's a great practice <laughs> yeah i think it's been like a traditional sort of go-to and it makes sense but i personally i think if you're going to test people you should pay them for it or give them a little bit of like a small bit of freelance to see how they do and if you like their work then hire them full time and I've seen more shows doing that recently and I think that that's a better model just because it promotes paying artists for their work and you know not stretching people thin for no reason because a lot of times you'll do a test and you'll and and I think it's it's really normal to do a, a test and to really put your heart and soul in it and to never hear back Ooh, yeah that's pretty brutal and then and, and then correct me if I'm wrong like I I've, I've worked in film enough to where I've been given storyboards or have you know sat down and go okay let's storyboard this out and worked with the actual storyboard artists and some will do like these the key moments extremely well and then kind of you know a lower res version so to speak of drawing like okay this is the basic stuff we know what's going to happen here we don't have to go crazy on it and then I've seen other guys who are doing like commercial work that live off of storyboard like you said and it's just every every frame every individual little dinky square is just fully rendered and fully realized and it's like man, I hope you're getting paid a whole lot of money for this. Yeah, yeah. And I also think that sometimes, I, you know, I've actually fallen into this trap quite a bit in my own career, <laughs> is that actually when you're doing storyboards, it's actually better. Well, it depends on what you're doing. In television, in television, it's good to be able to show that you can sort of draw on model and draw in the style because what you're drawing is eventually going to be animated. And essentially, it's almost like a one-to-one -one a lot of the time of like exactly what you draw, the poses you draw, that's going to end up on screen. In feature, it's a little bit different because you're drawing, generally speaking, for like a 3D animated thing. And so like what you draw is not going to be what's on screen. It's just a, it's like a blueprint for what they're going to possibly shoot in 3D. But I think that generally speaking, when you're, if you're, if you're speaking generally about storyboarding, it's better to be looser. It's actually better to not go so crazy overboard and render every single frame you want to save the juice for really important moments or like really close-up shots where you need to see like very particular expressions on a character or something and then the sort of in-between stuff is it's better if it's a little bit looser mostly because the tighter the drawing the less energy it has you know oh uh, okay um, okay Okay. And and it's also like you don't you don't want to like get too overboard because you're sort of it, it can kind of infringe upon the design team's ability and the edit team's ability to sort of like play with things if that makes sense. What should a storyboard artist be doing? What are the skills that are valuable as a storyboard artist? Storyboarding is honestly like the hardest job. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't seem easy. <laughs> I wouldn't. I you know, and that is not to take away from any other parts of the production because everybody production people you know line producers viz dev artists background designers character designers they all have a ton of work to do and they do incredible stuff that i could never do in my life but i think that storyboarding is really difficult and one of the reasons it's hard to find really good storyboard artists on a production is because storyboard artists have to wear so many hats in truth like as a storyboard artist you need to know how to draw you need to know how to draw quickly. You need to know how to draw gestures, you know, expressions. Hands are a huge deal. <laughs> one one um, of the hardest things ever to draw that every artist knows. You know, yeah. Please don't to draw hands. <laughs> but you do need to master them. You should ideally understand filmmaking very, very well, especially if you want to work in feature. TV as well, but like, and, and probably even more so now that like we're going more towards streaming and longer sort of like yes, more prestige film, entertainment they're calling it now sort of just like cinematic storytelling you know so in that case you really need to understand filmmaking and why people choose shots and i think regardless of it whether you're on like the cutest tv show for kids or if you're on like the craziest film production like you should understand basic filmmaking and, fi and film structure you also need to understand acting you need to understand what it looks like when somebody is embarrassed what is it and and, and i think what happens a lot of times is when you don't have a sort of 
really wide vocabulary, visual vocabulary for that stuff. People just lean on really tropey, cartoonish, like, like gestures and expressions, which is normal. It's not like it's bad. It's just that you have to expand your sort of lexicon or your like understanding of, of those things in order to be a really, really great board artist, you know? And it's hard to do all of that at once, especially in television. You also become a designer because your design team has a lot of work for, to do. And so it's helpful if like there's a new character on the show that comes up in an episode if you sort of help that design process along. Similarly with backgrounds, they'll love you more if you at least indicate a background, you know, that your character is walking through. So understanding perspective is a huge deal, especially if you want to be an action board artist, like understanding, you know, how, how to move the camera, how to like move a body in space, how to how to shoot like a moving city, you know what I mean? It's It's a lot. It's a lot of information and it's a lot of knowledge that takes honestly forever to learn you know you have to continue you have to be willing to to continuously learn you know i mean i think that's true across the board whether you're a designer or not well no no that makes total sense because you know i you know you were saying like you were giving us this list of all these things emotions hands camera movement cinematic and you know when you first think you know a lot of people who aren't deep diving on, on it you think animation you know our base understanding is I have a background that doesn't move. It's a wide shot of two characters and they're talking to each other and there's not really a lot of stuff. The character's doing something, but overall it's really a static background and two characters. It's Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny and maybe there's a few close-ups, but in reality it's a wide two shot that we see most of the time. But in modern things and in good animation as we you know we actually start to watch those cartoons and in better animation now it it's really one for one. Well, I would say that like shows like the like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff, those are amazing because of their sort of like they have really insane comedic value and really in, really incredible character. The thing that comes to mind to me immediately is just that like in comedy, for example, like you're going to see a lot of that like two shot because it's funnier because it's it's flat shots are funnier. When you when you push a shot, this is what I'm talking about like if you're like to understand filmmaking like when you push a shot where you're like okay, I'm going to actually have one character like fringed out and like blurry and then the other character that they're talking to is like deeper into the frame. The classic over the shoulder response. Classic over the shoulder whatever. It's already you're not going you don't want to tell a joke in that shot. If you are telling a joke in that shot, it's probably like because you're focusing on this one character's reaction or something, right? The funnier shot is 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 the wide shot with the two characters in frame. You know what I mean? When you shoot an over the shoulder, it automatically makes it more dramatic. You know what I mean? So if you're doing that, you need to have a reason. You don't want to just like do beautiful cinematic shots just to do beautiful cinematic shots, right? Like you want to do beautiful cinematic shots because it fits the story, right? So like a Chuck Jones cartoon like a cinematic storytelling isn't going to fit a Chuck Jones cartoon because that's not the goal of that, that of, of, of those shorts. You know what I mean? Like the goal is, is, is entertainment and it's to be funny. But if you're looking at any big animated film from the last like 10 years, like they're, they're all about pushing drama, right? right. <laughs> it's like, so right. yeah, there's, there's, there's funny stuff that happens in those, in those movies. And that's not to say that you can't have like a dynamic shot that's funny. It's just that you have to know what your story is and what your and your audience and what you're trying to do, you know. Yeah. And and to do that, you have to study filmmaking, and understand like what shots mean what. Like if you're gonna shoot a character, if you want a character to feel small or to feel down on their luck, you want to. Sh- it, it's oftentimes good to above them and put them low in the frame so that they feel smaller and feel like they're being uh, pushed down. Or if you want a character to feel powerful and and strong, you shoot you put the camera below and you you look up at them and like it's a power shot you know what i mean which is like understanding that stuff is vital to being a storyboard artist you know from the the far outsider looking in at somebody's like oh i want to make cartoons it's like well you just got to draw funny characters it's just it's just got to be something wacky doing wacky things with a wacky place with a wacky guy and you're done but that's not creating cinema whether it's animated or or real yeah like i said before too i mean it's just there's still value in that what i think is really cool about what's happening right now in animation is that is that there's a wide range of stuff happening right the sort of floodgates have been opened and you're you're, we're getting more more content of all kinds more shows more movies of all of all types and i do think the the instinct is to go like really cinematic and really push it and especially with every sort of advancement in technology like the designs get crazier the the storytelling gets crazier the what we can do is is expanding which i think is awesome i also think that like 
there's so much value in like the wacky zany cute cartoon that just exists for entertainment value and that's and I'm just telling a funny joke and it's fun to watch you know those are also those are also just as cool and interesting to me those kinds of stories or those kinds of like animated stories are just as fun and great as well, like yeah, a big it's, cinematic it's story you know because it's like like <laughs> I've got a three-year-old so he watches a lot of cartoons and you know if I'm scrolling through Netflix or, or whatever and it's funny he'll respond to like say a transformer, you know, he's a little boy who so likes transformers and he likes trucks and stuff. And you'll, you'll see the stuff and it's very 3d animated and, and, and really good. And then after he goes to bed and I want to watch TV, I'll watch a show like big mouth, which is very cutesy animation, but the story for big mouth is far more intense that you could really only tell that story through something cute because it is such a deep emotional story. That it, it, like you say, yeah, it, it's kind of fascinating how animation is is so wide and and covering so much much con more deeper concepts now that you know for you creating shows and working on shows it must be you know a fascinating time. I think what is sort of happening right now, at least within the animation industry, and I think that it might take time for like the rest of the entertainment industry to sort of see it this way, but I think that animation is tr trying its hardest to become a medium instead of a genre. I think for a very long time, animation has sort of been forced into the whole of this is kid stuff. And if you look at animation as a medium instead of a genre, it, it opens up the doors to do literally anything. You can make a horror film. You can make an epic. You can make whatever you want. You can be a, an adult sh an adult movie, or it can be a show for kids. And and it, when you focus in on it as a medium rather than a genre, I think it just it, it just utilizes the medium to its full potential. You know what I mean? Rather than like, oh well, this has to be for kids because that's what we do with animation. You know? Right, right. And you know, now you talk to anybody today, and it's like you know, tell me your top five TV shows, and one of them is going to be. A cartoon, for lack of a better term. I mean, it just just kind of work out that way. I mean, you know, we can go on a Rick and Morty jag for all we want, but you know, there's a lot of great shows. We're like, holy cow, this this is an animated show, and it's poignant. Yeah, absolutely. I think Rick and Morty is a great example. That show is the writing on that show is amazing, and uh, and visually, you know, I think it's sort of doing more now that it's like in later seasons. You know, but I do think I also think that like adult animation is sort of shifting in a good way, or or is. I'm starting to see the inklings of it shifting because I think for a while what's kind of been happening is that like adult animated shows have been also sort of like pushed into a hole of like, well, it has to be like ugly character designs and like talking <laughs> heads. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we can't show magical, crazy, interesting, beautiful stuff in an adult show. Like what? <laughs> and yeah, I think yeah. that, I think that that's just not true. You know, I think that it's, it, it's, uh, we've got to, we've got to really try at least to utilize the medium because I think it's been sort of proven at this point that like adults will watch animated stuff. You know, I don't, have you seen Midnight Gospel? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was turned on to that by actually the head of animation or the head of uh, game design. He was like, you need to go watch Midnight Gospel. And I was like, this is a mind bender. This is very adult. This I, is amazing. I love Midnight Gospel. I think that that show is incredibly beautiful. I mean, I, 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 I'm, you know. I don't know how that show got made because I know just from my own experience, that show would never have gotten made 10, 15 years ago. Well, it, I think that that's exist. because... Well, I think it's because it was created by Pendleton Ward, who made Adventure Time. So, you know, he is a proven success, and Adventure Time was amazing. And he, you know, he 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 knows how to do weird and make it relatable. You know, and so I think that I think that that was probably part of it. And also Duncan Trussell, you know, it's it's his podcast that's the sort of like audio for the show, and he has a pretty large following himself and a lot to say. And I think probably the gravitas of having both of those two minds together, sort of like sold Netflix on it. Also, Netflix has been incredibly open to sort of like l allowing creators to sort of do what they want to do and try new things and kind of throw everything at the wall and see what sticks, you know? <laughs> and so I think well, that- Well, that, that's kind of a good segue. And somebody who went from cartoon to cartoon, from Adventure Time to Midnight Gospel, somebody who based it off a podcast on to Netflix, which is a streaming service. So things that just didn't exist 10 years ago. So, you know, you're, you talked about pitching and we, we went through some of that. Explain to me the shift for you in not only wanting to become a showrunner, but what a showrunner is and how you are moving into that realm of creativity. Yeah, well, 
I will say, like many things in my life, it was not my intention to become a showrunner. That was not something that I thought was in the cards for me. It was never... I, I can't impress upon people enough. Like, I don't know what I was doing for a lot of time growing up. And then and in my early years of my career, I think that I kind of was just like going with it. You know, I got a job on Powerpuff Girls as a story artist. And I was like, OK, I, I'm going to try to be good at this. I know I'm going to mess it up. And I did mess it up a few times. <laughs> I think that, you know, again, I think it sort of was born of me just having a lot to say. I have a lot of opinions. I'm a very opinionated human being. And I think I never would have guessed of... that, but go on. <laughs> I think people, I sort of heard me around the studio, just like speaking my mind. And what ended up happening as I was approached by an executive who asked me if I had any ideas. And I kind of said no. I was like, well, I do. I have something I'm working on for myself, but it's not something I'm planning on pitching. And she basically was like, please, please pitch this idea. I want to hear what it is because they were looking for stuff. And she asked me like the age range. And I was like, well, I don't know if you guys would make this because at the time Cartoon Network was a six to 11 boys, boys network, right? The thing I was making for myself was skewing much older. It was like for older or teen, teenage kids. And it was uh, a female lead. And it was like, I, I wasn't making it. I was not making it to pitch it. I was literally making it as like a practice for myself because you're I was dem- like trying- you're the demographic you're writing for doesn't buy toys and kids clothes and, and, and candy and cereal. So why yeah. And it was super under, yeah, absolutely. And it was like super underdeveloped. And I was like, what am I, I like, I'm not making this because I'm like trying to sell it to a studio. I'm making this just for myself because I'm like trying to, you know, explore what story means to me and make stuff that feels good to me on my free time and so she asked me to pitch it and honestly I pitched it in a very underdeveloped form it was like a few drawing random sketches and like a bunch of writing I had done for myself and uh, she really liked it and I came they came back to me like a week later and were like we want to buy this (laughs) I was like what excuse me (laughs) Exactly. I was like, uh, all right, I guess I guess I'm selling this then. And again, like, I don't want to make it to diminish that experience because I know people are pitching all the time and it's really difficult. And I think it's really, really normal to say no. And when people say no to you, that does not mean that your pitch wasn't good. I think people need to understand that. Just because someone says no does not mean that your pitch was not a good pitch. It just means it's not what they're looking for at the moment. And I think I've kind of gotten incredibly lucky in some facets of my experience because what I've presented them just happened to be a, uh, a new new space that they were trying to enter. And they were trying to expand their age range and their demographic. And so my project came along and it was it was like handing them something they were they were already looking for. And so I think it just kind of was like serendipitous in that way. But, you know, like now we're um, what, three years later and I'm still developing that show. And right, I was going to say that, you know, you, you know, serendipity, amazing, right place, right time. Three years later, we're still working on going forward to the next step, which is happening. Yeah. We hope for sure someday, soon, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think people need to understand, too, that, like, the nature of the process is just really uncertain. Like, I still don't know if this project will ever get fully made or if it will be released. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just trying to go with it. And to be honest, I'm at this point, I'm kind of happy that it took as long as it did because now I think the story is far better than it was when I first started it. I've developed it much further. It's completely different now than it was when I started it. And so, and for the better, in my opinion, just sort of like allowing that process to unfold and not sort of like placing expectations upon it has made it into an experience that is still positive, even though, you know, at times it can be frustrating when you're waiting for a long time for stuff to happen. But you've had other pitches that have gone forward or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, after I, after Powerpuff Girls, the show itself ended. So everybody rolled off. I, I took a couple months off and then I ended up landing a job at Sony working in feature and I've been there ever since, and I love it there. I love being at Sony. They're just, it's just a fantastic place to work. But I have been working on stuff in development with them as well of my own, and and it's been it's been great. And I think that like, I think that it's actually sort of the practice of pitching is a good one. Like if you can, if you have something that you want to pitch, like just go for it. I think it's it's better to 
in my in my experience it's been better to just go in with something not fully figured out yet because you can as long as your core is there like that's what the executives are going to resonate with anyway like the details are always going to change like no matter what you do even if they bought it right out like the day of that you pitched it like a ton of your details are going to change no matter what so like spending years noodling on something is not going to make it notes proof. You know what I mean? So like, I think that everything is good, except we want to change 99% of it. Well, and I think that that's also just part of the process as a creator. You have to sort of, especially in animation, you sort of have to have a guiding light. This is the core thing about what I'm trying to say or do that. I don't want to change, but the other stuff around it, whatever is not like right at the heart of what you specifically want to do or say you need to be a little bit open to changing them because when you do that you allow for the experience to be a collaborative one which that is what animation is it it is a collaborative experience your designers your writers your storyboard artists they're all gonna bring bits of themselves to your project and if you can sort of like relinquish a little bit of that control but guide it using you know what you know is the core of your show it's only going to be better for it i think being a good leader in animation is finding people that you trust and trusting them. <laughs> that sort of also applies on some levels to when you're dealing with executives because your executive has knowledge about what the studio needs that you don't and also has potentially a lot of experience developing other shows and, and has foresight where you might not. And so it's important for you to sort of like stand your ground on the things that are, like I said, are core to what you're trying to do or say, but you also have to, again, be open to criticism, be open to, like they say, killing your babies and um, allowing things to shift and change. Because if you're not, like, it's it's it's, it's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> so you, explain to me then what, what this concept, because we hear it more and more. And in animation, it sounds like it's, it's a bigger thing. But what is a showrunner? Showrunner is not an easy job, from what I understand. I have not ever done it myself. At, not yet, but from <laughs> but from the experience that I have working with showrunners, you're the head of everything. You know, you're you're overseeing. You have you, generally speaking, you're you're the you're the top of the show, but you have you know you have your art director, you have your um, potentially story editor, you have your lead writer, you have your um, story your directors who are all below you who are helping run the show and helping to make sure that the pipeline runs smoothly, but you're sort of responsible for overseeing all of it. You're in all the records with the actors, you're you're in all the story pitches, you're in the art reviews, you're you're the guiding light of the show, basically. Like you have to sort of wear all of the hats on some level. Again, that's why it becomes imperative to sort of be someone who can recognize other people's skills and letting those skills shine because there's no way as a showrunner that you're going to be like the best designer the best storyboard artist the best editor the best uh, writer of all the people on your show that's just not reality you know what i mean and those so unicorns really um, don't exist no i mean like you might be pretty proficient or really good at uh, like some of those things but you're never going to be like the best at all of those things right i think i think it's really important for people who end up in these leadership positions to sort of like have a little bit of humility and understand that like there are people who are more skilled than you who you might be the boss of at some point and that's okay trust them to do their job I think it's it's a really really important skill to be able to sort of like manage a team well and also sort of like give notes well I might have a designer that that is working for me who like I'm not a designer, right? Like I I have design ability, but I am not a I'm not a character designer or background designer. But that doesn't mean that I can't have a, a designer bring me something and give it notes to make it fit the show more appropriately or to or to, you know, fit the style that I'm looking for. I just have to be able to give the right notes. But I also need to trust that that artist can do their job well. It's okay that they're better at me than, than that job. I just have to be able to give them the notes that make the show sh overall shine. That's one hurdle for a lot of people. But then to be able to articulate yourself, how do you develop that way of thinking of, of how to give good notes and to articulate yourself? I think it's really, really difficult. I think you have to start with clarity of vision. If you're a director or a showrunner or what have you and you don't have clarity of vision, that's a problem, right? Like you need to have... If you're the person running the show, you need to have in your mind what it is that you're trying to do, and you have to be very communicative with your team about that. If you are not able to communicate to your team, like, this is what I want, or if you're somebody who, unfortunately, I think this happens a lot, and I don't think it's 
I, I think it's common and it's unfortunate, but I think that a lot of times there are people who will say, well, I, I'll know what I want when I see it. And I think that that can be really difficult for people on your team. If that is the case, if you do have that going on and you're not totally sure what you're looking for, I think you just have to be a little bit gracious towards your artists and understand that, like, at that point, like, it's not their job to sort of, like, intuit what you want. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to sort of, like, allow for them to kind of make mistakes at that point because if you're not giving them exactly what you want, how are they going to per- find it perfectly? You know what I mean? Right. We, um, we've all heard that, you know, you'll you'll know it when you see it. It's like, uh, that, that that's not guidance, man. <laughs> that doesn't help Yeah, me. and I, you know, and I think it's fair that, like, sometimes you don't know. It's like, that's, that's like, the human experience. I don't think you're going to know the answers, like, 100% of the time. It's just important that if you're in a leadership position, you give as much clarity as you can. And if you can't give that clarity, be very honest about that and don't make it your artist's responsibility to, like, fill the gap where you can't. It's like, you just have to be a little bit self-aware, I think. It's okay. You might not have all the answers all the time. You should at least try to have enough clarity of vision to sort of give something to your artist to work from. But I think it can become a negative experience for your artist if 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 the onus is put on them to figure it out, you know? <laughs> um, so so for students then, you know, let you know, let's give some students and people who are interested in this some some good advice. I mean you've given a lot of great advice on the thinking, the mindset that people need to have, which I think is probably more important than some of the the technology skills. But what would be some things that, you know, people that you want to work with and people that you're wanting to bring onto your team, you know, what are you looking for? What are some of those traits, those abilities, those skills that you think will serve people well working in animation and just working in this creative field? Number one, I would say, if we're, if we're, if we're talking to students who are just coming into the industry, I would say like, of course, off the bat, you need to have those sort of base level skills, right? Like understand filmmaking, understand story. If, if story is what you're trying to go into, make sure that you have a base level knowledge of, of, of those skill sets. Study people that you admire. Watch a lot of movies, live action films specifically, and, and draw what you see because that's the quickest and that's the quickest and easiest way to get like a sort of a Rolodex of shot shots that you can pull from in your mind it'll it'll expand your visual vocabulary but i think that if if i'm speaking about like people who have that basic skill set already like if you know beyond that like if i'm hiring from a pool of artists who i know all on a base level have the sort of like skill set to be a storyboard artist or an artist in the industry i would say don't worry about your style that's not a thing (laughs) like that's good to know that that's good to hear i think that style is something that comes with time and experience it's something that like I saw it said online recently really really well somebody I forget who it was or I would credit them for with for saying this because it was really smart but it was it was basically that like style comes from like how you problem solve so like how do I draw a hand well I draw a hand like this right like I draw it this way so this is how I learned to problem solve the, the problem of drawing a hand is like drawing it this way and style is what kind of like comes out of like a lot of practice practicing how to solve those visual drawing problems and so it's actually like especially in television it's oftentimes even more beneficial if you can just draw in any style because if you can it it, what it means is that you're versatile and that you can jump from show to show and you can match the style so I think that like having one style is actually kind of a detriment for a lot of artists, you know, rather than just like being able to wear a lot of different hats. What do you see or what do you hope is going to start happening with animation? <sighs> How do I say this? <laughs> less white and less male. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfectly okay. As the white male on the other side of the, the microphone. <laughs> I understand. We haven't been the greatest lately. I, er, well, And that lately is a very long time. So I understand. Well, you know, here's the thing, you know, I think it's, it's sort of easy for us to just say like, yeah, like white men are evil, whatever. And it's, <laughs> and, and it's, they're the cause of all suffering in the world. But I think that like, <laughs> but I think that the, the, the truth is that there are so many vibrant, beautiful, incredible people who are of, who are of different sexualities, who are gender nonconforming, who are people of color, who are indigenous, who are having experiences that are more, one, more universal than you think, but also than I think studios tend to think is, I should correct myself, 
but I think also stories that are so rich and so full of emotion and full of ex- and full of real lived experience that is gripping and and will pull an audience in and stories that need to be told because we we have not been given those perspectives as, a, as an audience like ever i mean it's it, obviously in the mainstream like those stories have been told but they've just been sh- kept in the background for such a long time and i think you know you go you, you go through history the, these artists have always existed but they've never been given the spotlight or the attention that they deserved and i think that now as the studio system sort of like opens itself up to say okay maybe we're ready to tell these stories now i think it's really important that as people who are coming up in the industry we sort of dedicate ourselves to making sure that those 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 stories are actually told because I think it's really easy to get comfortable, especially um, once you start to have success. It's very like, okay, well, I don't want to rock the boat or I don't want to, you know, step on any toes or whatever, but you kind of have to, you kind of have to like, it's like, I'm, I'm a half Mexican woman, right? But I'm a white woman, you know, Um, I'm a cisgendered white lady, (laughs) You know, and as difficult as it is as a woman in the industry, it is difficult to come up as a woman in the industry. It's not as difficult for me as it is for a woman of color or a gender nonconforming person to come up and tell their own story. And so as a person who exists with a certain level of privilege, who is beginning to have a voice in the industry, it is now my, in my opinion, my job to extend that to other other people who, who still have not had that opportunity to allow those rich, vibrant voices to be heard and to let those stories come forward and have the spotlight for a long time because they deserve it. They, de- they, we have had decades and decades of not of, of telling stories that are not theirs, and you know it's 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 time for those stories to be told. I think. So there you have it. Some great advice on what it takes to be successful in the world of storyboards and entertainment arts. Because as more and more art and design career opportunities are growing, employers are always on the hunt for the next generation of talented and, of course, skilled creative professionals. And at Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco and, of course, anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including illustration, animation, game development, and more, Visit our website at academyart.edu slash creative mind. Again, I'm Bobby Brill. Thanks for listening.